Welcome, everybody. I'm Chris Miller, author of the number one best-selling book, Ready for Pre-Tirement, Three Secrets for Safe Money and a Fabulous Future. I'm so honored to be the host of this show called Ready, Set, Retire. You lay awake at night wondering if you're going to have enough money to pay the bills, let alone retire. In this show, your vision will be transformed, and I will show you how to have safe money and a fabulous future. I've counseled thousands of individuals, businesses, and families over the past 20-plus years, and I'm proud to say I've never lost one dollar of my clients' money. I will share with you secrets that I've learned over two decades that only the few rich know and that have been around for centuries. Today's show, Achieve Financial Freedom Big Time, Wealth Building Secrets from Everyday Millionaires. You really need to hear this. I have an amazing guest, Sandy Botkins. He is a former trainer of IRS attorneys in the IRS Corporate Tax Division. That's right. He teaches the IRS. And for a quarter of a century, Mr. Botkin is lecturing on both tax and financial topics throughout through his company, Tax Reduction Institute. He is also on the wealthy mastery faculty of the Robbins Research, a Tony Robbins company, and he is a former professor of tax accounting at the University of Maryland and has written two best-selling books, Lower Your Taxes Big Time and Achieve Financial Freedom. Most Americans are not prepared for the golden years, let alone today, and no matter what your financial status, you can be prepared to enjoy your life and never run out of money. So I want to welcome Sandy Bodkin, who will share some of these great tips with you today. Well, Chris, it's a real honor to be here. I'm so happy you're here. You're just, you have such great information. And just so we, you know, we start off, I want you to tell everybody so they can get their pen right out right now and write down what is your website? Where's, as you're talking so people can, you know, get a hold of you, why don't you go ahead and tell everybody how. We have two websites. One is taxreductioninstitute.com, where we have all kinds of information on there and calculators and really good stuff. My other website is called taxbot.com, T-A-X-B-O-T.com, which has all kinds of, uh, uh, it's basically it's an expense tracker and an auto tracker, which is integrated with a GPS system for self-employed people when people need to keep track of their expenses. And that's called taxbot.com with all kinds of articles, and it's a really cool thing. So those are my two main websites. Well, that's great. And for those of you that are listening to me and you want to reach out to me, my website is ready for pre-tirement, and that's R-E-A-D-Y-F-O-R-P-R-E-T-I-R-E-M-E-N-T.com, and you can get a hold of me through that contact. Um, but I really want to let everybody know this is the beginning of it. We're going to do some series because um, this book that Sandy has, Achieve Financial Freedom Big Time, is Wealth Building Secrets from Everyday Millionaires. There's so many goodies in here. We're going to have a series of this book because I really want to, I think it's so important that you understand this. And one of the tips that were special ones we're going to do in the future is how to avoid scams, slams, and shams. And he's going to break down all kinds of seminar schemes, inheritance, pyramid schemes, scams, you name it. But we will come back to that. I want to just get right into it. And 
Not only has he taught IRS agents and people like you and me how to save millions, but this book is full of a lot of amazing things. And Sandy, you and I were just talking before I pushed the record button on how many people are really ready for retirement. And you were telling me the statistics. Well, it's very sad, actually. And, and people don't realize how sad it is. I guess you don't know what you don't know. Uh, there was a study done where the, the estimate was six, I think it was 4% of people at age 65 can retire with the same standard of living they had before retirement. Well, what happened to the other 96%? Well, they either had to continue working, live on some form of charity, or reduce their standard of living. I mean, I was just reading an article about the post office where it was saying they had three workers, it was in uh, Washington Post, who were age 98 or older. Imagine, Chris, having to work till you were 98 or older. I was in Miami, Florida. There was an article, and this happens perennially, of a couple who were eating dog food. Dog food! Because they couldn't afford to live in their retirement. I mean, we, the nation's really in serious trouble. I was, I was, here's some other interesting statistics. I mean, it's, it's unbelievable. The average American family has $3,800 in the bank. Average. That's 50%. 50% of American households don't even have a retirement income. I mean, 40% of Americans are, are, are not even saving for retirement. I might go on and on. It's absolutely a disaster. It is. It's, it, it's shocking. It's shocking. I mean, people, are, they go to school to learn how to make money, but nobody showed anybody how to, where to store their money or how to even, you know, save taxes or any of those things. You're absolutely right. I mean, there's, there's so many reasons you see today about all the scams going on. It's because people don't understand it. And there are so many things about money that people don't get that they, they just, that's why they're poor. I mean, that, there's a very good reason why the vast majority of the population in North America really isn't cutting it. And it's, and it's all a choice. It's all something they could improve on if they just took a little bit of interest in it and started reading up about the things they need to do. That's all they had to do. And they would have, they would have been vastly wealthier than they would otherwise be. Right. And so uh, that's probably the reason why you wrote this great book, um, because there's a lot of financial books out there. So, you, you know, your inspiration of why did you write the book? Well, you know, it's, it's interesting on, on why I did it. Uh, every accountant and lawyer has a legal book salesman. And this guy came up to me one time and he said, you know, I, my parents are going into a nursing home. You would think there would be something and every most financial books would show you exactly what to look for or what kind of mortgage. I was thinking of getting a 15 year or 30 year mortgage. You believe it. I can't find it. And when he was looking, he said every, every one of those books that he'd seen with a very few exceptions were either bad information or they were promoting a special product that the person wanted to sell. Like, for example, there was one book of a guy who promoted insurance for almost everything, life insurance for everything. Of course, he sold insurance. Or they were promoting their firm or even worse, they were giant commercials for other books. <laughs> and they really didn't give me any great content. And when, I, when he first said that to me, I thought, ah, oh, this guy's full of it. There's all kinds of financial books out there. But you know what? I'll bet you 95, 98% of them meet the, uh, those criteria. They were horrible, absolutely horrible. So I decided I was going to sit down and I was going to write basically what a CPA should be telling their clients but aren't on just about everything to do with finances, from mortgages to insurance to estate planning to how to really get out of debt. But my problem, here was the big problem. I'm a tax lawyer. What do I know about all this? I've been successful, but really, what do I know? Well, I guess behind every, uh, this is a little secret in this book, behind every good man is usually a smarter lady. And my wife was saying, you know, you do all these seminars. You must know all these people. Why don't you interview them? 
And I did. I knew a lot of people in the world. So I, I interviewed, I got a hold of some very successful people, and I asked them if they'd want to be interviewed for specific topics, and they did. Like, for example, I met a guy who was a former Justice Department attorney, and he lectured on all the scams that are going on in North America and how to minimize the effect of those things, even Madoff scams. Um, I met a guy who talked about debt and saving money, and, and he owned a bank. Uh, I met a guy, the top, one of the top elder law associate, uh, uh, attorneys in the United States, and on and on. I met these really successful people who were experts in specific topics, and that's how we were able to develop this book, and we did it in a uh, really, I think, a very fun way, because I brought my son with me, who's a master's in financial planning and a CPA, and we had a lot of banter with these guys, and when you read the book, you'll see that there's a lot of banter going on, and that's how it got started. Yeah. Well, I, you know, I'm excited about it because not only am I in this field, but because of what I see, I, I just can't seem to bridge the gap of how do you get younger people aware of, and even older people, that, you know, you're going to need uh, long-term care insurance so you can be comfortable when you're older, your body's going to wear out. It's such a denial that I think... Oh, it's unbelievable. I mean, the people, there, there are a hundred times, let me, let me take the, the most successful financial book out there. Um, and, and actually, the most successful one is, in my opinion, one of the worst are out there of all. I'm not going to mention who the author is, but horrible. But even if you take that one, I would say there's probably a hundred times more Harry Potter books sold than even the most successful financial books sold. And I, I think the problem, there's a couple problems. One, we in the United States are not planners. They, people are just not willing to plan. I talk to CPAs all over the country, and they tell me how the people are not willing to pay them for tax planning, for financial planning, for estate planning. Everybody thinks we, they should throw it in. Right. And people don't want to do any kind of work, even if it's not even if it's relatively minimal work, whether it be reading a book or getting or going to a seminar. They're just not. You know, we are not a planning-oriented society, and it, it stems from the government all the way down. Even the government can't balance their own budget. That's the problem. Right. Major problem, for sure. It's, it's a huge problem. And, and, I, and, I, and I, you heard me say this. It's 2013. We are mortgaging our futures, and we are putting a debt burden on our children and our children's children that they're not going to dig out of. Right. What do you, you know, I've heard it said that something in this year, we're making about 30 cents on the dollar. Is that correct? Compared to what? Well, the <laughs> <laughs> it still depends on what you're looking at. Okay, are you comparing it to 1902? <laughs> what are you oh. comparing it to? <laughs> okay. Well, I mean, in terms of taxes, that's not true. In terms of taxes, uh, you're probably, it depends on your tax rate. I mean, it really varies anywhere from, uh, the tax bite is somewhere between uh, 20 and 53%, depending on your, the income you're in and the state you're in. So you, you basically, you have to live on somewhere around 30 to 50% of what you're making. And if you wonder why you can't get ahead in America, well, if you've got to live on half of what you're making because the rest of it goes out in taxes or debt, that's why. That's why people can't get out ahead. People are working two jobs or multiple jobs. They're leaving the kids alone. The kids are depressed. I mean, it, it, you know, it's a real problem. Yeah, well, you know what? You know, I do a lot of radio shows, and the one question that I get asked, and it's always, it sounds like it's the hosts themselves. They're saying, well, what about the people that, that don't have any? How are we going to even save if we're barely making it bill by bill? What well, you know, it's interesting. Most people don't realize, you know, one of the more famous uh, uh, people on, on TV and on the financial crisis is Susie Orman, as you probably know. Right. And Susie Orman is very famous for telling people to get out of debt. That's the number one expense. She even has her own show on debt. Right. But you know the interesting thing? As famous as she is, she's wrong. The number one expense in North America is taxes. It exceeds what you pay for food, clothing, 
transportation and and um, housing combined for most people. Combined. So here's my point. If you can get your taxes down to the legal minimum with proper planning and you know and start saving money with proper planning, do you think maybe you can cure your retirement woes and instead of 4% being able to retire at age 65 with the same standard of living, it could be 40% if it's done right? Right. Right. Exactly. I mean, that, so, it makes sense. Yeah. yeah. So how much debt is too much debt? Uh, you know, it's interesting that you mentioned that. How much debt is too much debt? Generally, I got a whole chapter here on debt, and there's no set number per se. The general rule is this. You want to have all your debt. I'm talking, well, I'll tell you what the average, the average debt in the United States is. The average debt, and this includes mortgage debt, education loans, consumer loans, uh, personal loans, I'm talking everything, is 20% of the United States. That means of every paycheck, roughly 20% uh, comes out in the form of, of debt in some way or another. I think that's a little too much, okay? My feeling is that generally, uh, the debt should be less than 15%, certainly no more than 20 And I've seen people as high as 30 and 35 I mean, you can tell you have too much debt. There are certain factors. You know, they, they, unfortunately, people are in denial. They really are. Right, right. I mean, I met somebody who maxed out his credit cards. He didn't think he had too much debt, okay? Or he's paying just interest, and the debt isn't being reduced. Oh, boy. Or they argue with their spouse or their partner all the time about money. They're arguing there's obviously too much debt going on. Right. Or they're constantly taking cash advances. All of these are, are uh, factors that are indicating you just have too much debt. And certainly... Your debt should not be, your payment should not be more than, than at most, 25%, and it really shouldn't be more than 20% of your total income for each month. Right. And in my opinion, it should be down to 15. But the problem is, there's all kinds of reasons, and I get, we'll get into this in my book, uh, on why people are getting into debt. I mean, they weren't born with debt, but, but sure enough, during life, they get into it, and there's a whole bunch of reasons for it. Well, you, you know, in your book, it's such a good book. I really, I'm just impressed. And, the, and you talk about the seven steps needed to get out of debt. Mm -hmm. Can you, like, lightly tell us about that? Sure. First of all, people need to understand why they get in debt. They, there's ten reasons why people overspend, and they, and they really have to understand that first before you figure out what you need to get out of. You know, I, I guess the bottom line is you've got to first cure the disease before you can start, you know, treating the, the, the aftermath. Right. And one of which is denial. As I said, too many people are in denial. They just are. And, and that's a real problem. The second problem is instant gratification. You know, this is a huge, huge wide, widespread problem because everybody is short-sighted today. Even our corporations are short-sighted. Instead of taking long-term perspective, they want to maximize their earnings now. The heck what happens five years from today. And we really need to take a much longer perspective. Everybody wants the car now. They want the top job now. They want, you know, the, the, the Starbucks latte now every day. And they can't. There is a point. Nobody plans for unexpected expenses. And you've got to put away a certain amount of money uh, every month, every year, for unexpected things. They come up. I know everybody says, oh, this is an unusual thing. That's why we had a bad year. Let me tell you, I'll give you a promise. Unusual things happen every single year. They do. Right. Then you've got the get-rich-quick mentality. And I can go in, we can go into this in more detail on any of these things. But get-rich-quick is very simple. A lot of companies are trying to monetize the savings you're going to receive from buying their product. And they'll note that the product will pay for 
favorites. Now, if you ever hear that, it happens all the time. You buy this hot, new hot water heater or furnace that has better efficiency, so you'll save enough fuel. You buy solar panels, which supposedly have a break-even of 12 years and so on. The problem is that uh, with, th with this kind of thinking, it often leads to multiple large purchases. So people are so focused on the savings they hope to make, but they don't take into account their prior spending. <laughs> and they end up getting too much of it, too much debt. Um, they should never borrow for consumer goods, ever. They should be saving up for that. One of the worst problems is equating, and I'm sure you've seen this, Chris, self-worth with net worth. Right. All the time. I mean, that is just idiotic. It's just unbelievable how people feel that way. Um, yes, some people just don't earn enough money. There's just inability to make money. But there are still things you can do. Another big problem, lying to a spouse. That's part of the denial situation. Or, or, they're not, or they're not managing their debt correctly. Or they have too much debt. All right, now let's talk about the seven steps. You mentioned it, and, and I want to get into that. Okay. First thing, and, and this is all found in, in my book on, on uh, Achieve Financial Freedom Big Time. I have a specific chapter on getting out of debt. If you follow these seven steps, I promise I'll get you out of there. But you also have to treat the symptoms. You can't get out of debt. You can't, for example, try to, uh, try to use, uh, borrow money to save money. That doesn't work. Everything has to be harmonious. You can't try to solve the problem of getting out of debt while you're charging all kinds of new things. That doesn't work. So you've got you to solve the problem first of what's causing this high debt before you can start really getting out of debt. So you've got to address those emotional issues. And make no mistake about it, most debt that people have is as a result of emotional spending. All right, here are the seven steps. First step is you've got to have both a short and especially a long-term written goal. You know, Oscar Hannerstein is very famous. In one of his plays, it says, if you don't have a dream, how are you going to make your dreams come true? And the same thing is true with goals. If you don't have any, how are you going to achieve them? You know, it's very, very important that you have long-term and short-term goals. Very important. In fact, what's interesting, there was a study done uh, by Harvard many years ago that showed that 3% of all students had written goals. Uh, years after they graduated, the same people had a higher net worth than the other 97% who didn't have financial goals. And that's the important point. And there's one very, very important point when it comes to spending and debt that people miss. You can have anything you want, but you can't have everything. And I'll say that again. Make sure everybody gets this. You can have anything you want, but you can't have everything. A good example. You want to eat out every day? You, can, you probably can. You just may not save enough money for your retirement or for your kid's education. Right. You want to buy a fancy car? You probably can. You just won't have enough money for everything. Things. And again, that goes back to net worth is, is your, is your, is your self-worth. Do you really need that fancy car when a Toyota will do just as well? Do you really need that new designer gown or new designer dress when you can go to Target and get the, pretty much the same thing? All right. All right. So you've got to address those issues. So short and long-term goals. Mm -hmm. Number second step is you've got to prioritize these goals. And you prioritize it by degree of importance. For example, if saving money for your kid's education more important than taking that fancy vacation or eating out often, you need to make a priority. Maybe if you're single, your priority is eating out. If, you're, <laughs> if you have a family, you've got to change those priorities. Right. Here's, here's something that most people miss. You can't just get out of debt. You can't save money unless you track your expenses. 
If you don't know what you're spending, you're not going to be able to control it. It's very simple. So step three is to track your expenses for at least three months, preferably six months. And the reason is in order to uncover some semi-annual payments, such as insurance that you may not normally get in three months. You really need to track your spending. Okay? As I said, you can't cut your spending if you don't know what you're spending. That's the bottom line. There's a lot of online trackers out there. I have a very good system. It's called TaxBot, T-A-X-B-O-T, that you can keep track. It's on a, it's on a phone, iPhone, or a Droid, or a iTablet, where you can keep track of your spending as well as your personal expenses if you want. And I strongly recommend that you go take a look at that. Number four, you've got to make some spending cuts. I like to call it the butcher knife approach. Once you know what you're spending, you've got to take a figurative butcher knife and make some cuts. Uh, this could be cutting down on eating out, cutting out to the gym, spending less on food, on shoes, for example, uh, spending less uh, on for lunch at work. Maybe you can brown bag. And I have a whole bunch of th suggestions in my book of things you can do. Um, spending less on consumable purchases. There's all kinds of ideas that you can do. But you've got to make some cuts somewhere. Yeah. Number five, and this is the, another very important step. You want to create a matrix of your debts. And here's what the matrix shows. It shows line, column one will show the creditor. Column two will show the amount of the debt. Column three will show the interest rate of each debt. Column four, the minimum payment that you're making on each debt or is required on each debt. And column five is the duration. How long is this loan going to take with these minimum payments? So you've got the creditor, the amount of the debt, the interest, the minimum payment and duration. And you have a listing of all of these things. Number six, now you want to prioritize your debt in the matrix. And how do you prioritize it? By the amount of the debt. Not by the interest, not by the age of the debt, but by the amount. So you put the lowest amount first, the next lowest amount after that, the third lowest amount. You do it by the amount. And here's the catch. Here's what you do. Most, most people think, I'm going to start paying off the highest interest debt. So my Chase credit card might have the highest interest, so I'm going to start paying that off. That's actually not the right answer. The real answer, and I thought that was the case, too, theoretically, but it's not. Because you want to get some, you want to get some achievements. It's like, it's like trying to lose weight. If you lose a few pounds, you're going to be more incentivized than if you don't lose the weight. What I suggest is you start making an acceleration of, your, of, of a payment on your lowest amount of debt. Maybe just an extra $100 a month. But start paying off the lowest amount of debt. Because by doing that, it'll be a lot easier to get rid of one of your of your debts. So you start you're making a little bit extra payment after doing that figurative butcher cut to the lowest amount of debt. You still make the minimum payments on all the other debts, but now you're adding a little more money that you save from the cuts that you made to the lowest amount of debt. Now, once that debt is eliminated, what you do is you then go to the next lowest amount of debt. And you take all the money that you're pay you were paying on the first debt, including the accelerated payment, and now you add it to the next lowest amount of debts payment. And you keep doing that and with each debt until it's all eliminated. If you do it that way, you'll be very incentivized, and you will get out of all debt. I am completely, I did that myself. I maximized my tax savings. I really took tax savings very seriously. Okay? So I got more deductions probably than the average bear. 
and I use that money to, to prepay my loan, prepay my mortgage, prepay mortgages on my rental property, get out, make sure I get out of debt. I mean, I'm now in my 60s. I have no debt. My home is debt-free. My rental property is debt-free, and I've been able to do this. It's not that I'm so smart. It's just that I just had any extra money. I use it to start prepaying debt. That's the key. You take those seven steps. I will promise everyone who is listening that you will be debt-free in probably seven years or less. That's great. And so in the unexpected expenses, how much do you allocate for those? All right, that, there's, it's hard to say because everybody has a little bit different, but I estimate, my, my estimation is you want to put at least in a savings account, and this comes under savings, saving money, but you want to put at least five to $10,000 away in, for unexpected expenses. In fact, there's, there's a lot of things, we, you know, what most people ask me, what do I, what, where's the first place I should invest money? Should I put it in the stock market? Should I put it in mutual funds? And here's my answer. The first place you invest money is someplace really safe, and you want to set up a reserve. Reserves are the first thing you establish before you do anything. Don't worry about the investment. Set up a reserve. Now, what is a reserve? Reserves are very safe, risk-free places you can put money away that will not be subject to stock market risk or interest rate risk or any risk. It could be cash in a mutual fund, not mutual fund, a money market account, a savings account, under your mattress, I'm only kidding, but someplace safe. So the question is, how much should you have in reserve? That's the key. Reserves are there for you and for things to happen. If you get disabled, if you get unemployed, you've got to have a reserve to pay while you're looking for a job. That's what a reserve is for. Now, here's what I suggest you have on your reserve. Now, the reserve varies depending on the kind of job you and your spouse have. If both of you are, say, federal employees and your chances of losing your job are very slim, you don't need as much of a reserve as somebody who works for a private company and, you, and who, who probably needs uh, less of a reserve than if you only have a single individual. If they lose their job, they have nothing. So it, it all depends on what your financial circumstances are, how, how, how safe are you in terms of where you're working and, where, and your income is. But the general rule is this, and I'll, and I'll bet no one's going to read this anywhere, and this is in my uh, chapter two of my Achieve Financial Freedom Big Time. Number one, you want about 12 months of living expenses. And I didn't say 12 months of income. I said 12 months of living expenses. So if you're spending you know, thirty or $40,000 a year, you want to have a year's worth of spending. Why? Because if you become unemployed, it normally takes about a year to get a job. That's why. Right. So 12 months of living expenses. Secondly, I recommend a minimum of five to $10,000 in uh, unexpected big expenses. And 10 is the better answer. You never know when you need that new roof. You never know when an implant's going to be required, which, which take thousands. Right. You never know when all of a sudden you have big medical bills that aren't covered by insurance as well. I'm telling you, you, you these, these unexpected things happen. Or your car needs a big repair on the motor. It happens. And it happens all too frequently. So you want at least 12 months of living expenses, plus you want five to $10,000 for unanticipated big expenses, preferably 10. Plus, here's the third thing. 
You want large expenses that you expect to incur within three years. Now, this is something that a lot of people miss, and I've actually made this mistake. If you expect to have some very high expenses that you know about coming up within the next two to three years, that money must come out of the market, that money must come out of any risky investment, and put it in a reserve. And that's what happened in 2008 and 2009, unfortunately. Many people left their money in the stock market when they had kids going to college the next year. So the stock market dropped to 50%. Their, their college fund went bye-bye, and now they didn't have enough money for college. If you know you're going to have something coming up in the next year or two, that's going to be a big expense. It could be college. It could be a wedding. But some big expense, you need to put that money away in a safe place where there's no risk. And that's part of the reserve. And if you end up starting up a business, then I recommend you have two years of business and personal overhead expense as well if you're going to start a business. So the bottom line is how much you need for reserve? Here's your answer. 12 months of living expense, unless you both have very safe jobs and maybe a little less. Five to $10,000 for unanticipated big expenses, plus any large expense that you expect to incur within the next two to three years. Plus, if you're going to start up a business, and that's only for those that expect to start up a business, two years of business and personal overhead expense. And I will bet no one has read this in any book anywhere. No, I haven't. And that's really hits it right on the head that you really covered it there. Yeah. And, and by the way, reserve, people ask me, do I worry about the interest rate on the reserve? Not in the slightest. I don't care if you put it in a, in a 0% interest rate bank account. I don't care. It's got to be safe. The key is safety. You don't want it to risk for interest rate. You don't want it to risk like bonds. You don't want it at risk with the stock market going up and down. You don't want it at risk gold. You want it safe and you want it liquid. You want to be able to get at it immediately. That's what a reserve is. Once you have the appropriate reserve, then we can talk about investing your money. But you need the reserve first. The reserve is always the first thing you want to set up no matter what. And sadly, the average American has less than $10,000 in total savings who are, who are under age 50. Less than $10,000. It's a sad fact. And yet the reserve should be the first thing they look at. Right, right. So anybody that's just jumping in, I want to let you know you you are listening to Ready, Set, Retire. We have Sandy Botkin here, and this is Web Talk Radio. And we are talking about big-time wealth secrets from everyday millionaires. This is, you have to listen to this. Sandy has details that I've never heard before and and um, really want to drill down a little bit more because you're talking about, okay, getting out of debt. Now, you know, you discuss a lot in your book. In fact, you devote two chapters on how we save money. And so what are the best strategies that you know of? In terms of savings? Right. Okay. First of all, uh, people have to understand that saving money is absolutely crucial for wealth creation. If you don't, if you don't do that, you're, you're gonna, your retirement is going to suffer enormously, and you're going to see it. The problem is, you know, so many people have a poor retirement. That's 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 what's so disbelieving. I mean, let me give you some statistics. I have to share some of this with you because it's just sad. Yeah. The average uh, net worth for somebody age 25 to 34 is 8,500 dollars. That's including 
including their home, by the way. From 35 to 44, it's 51,000. From 45 to 54, 108,000. The average American family, 50% of, of Americans have less than 3,800 in the bank. 50%. 50% of American households don't even have a retirement account. Here, you have a book, pre-retirement, okay? 50% of households don't have retirement accounts. Wow. Okay? 40% of Americans um, are not saving for retirement. They're not saving. 25% of households have no savings. Zero. They're living from hand to mouth. Okay? 24% of the people have postponed retirement. I mean, these, if this isn't get people to move, then, you know, I don't know what to tell you. Well, I mean, there's such a there's such a la-la, you know, denial when they, oh, the market's up now, it's all over, everything's wonderful, and everybody forgot a year, a couple months ago, you know, a couple years ago, like it didn't even happen, and just go right back into the same, you know, the same process. It's And it's insane. So everybody thinks, oh, the market's really great right now, we're just, and all the signs of recovery are back. What do you think about that? You know, it, it's so sad. It's absolutely sad. I mean, when the, when the market, first of all, the market's this, first of all, when the market's this high, I, I usually take a little bit out. I like this, you know, have a little more right. cash on there. But at the very least, you can't just look at the market and say, oh, I'm worth so much, so I'm set. What goes up can always come down. And that brings us the other way. What goes down, what always comes up. The problem is, and I have this in my book, Investing, and we'll do this at another time, but most people buy low and sell high. You think it's the other way around. That's not the case. Nope. And, and, and there's a lot of reasons for that, but I'll give you one reason since you just brought it up. And this is a perfect reason. I actually know somebody who did this, so I mean, I, I know this for sure. The market was, in 2007, the market was going crazy. It was up to like what it is today, about over 14,000. All of a sudden, the market started dropping. And one day, it dropped 1,000 points. And my friend had a college coming up for his kids in two years. Well, when it first started dropping, he didn't get too excited. It's like, oh, it'll go back up again. It kept dropping. Now he's starting to feel the pain. And it kept dropping. And he's starting to sweat. Market gets down to about 7,000. He couldn't take it anymore. He sold it. Because what he said to himself is, what happens if it goes to 1,000 or 2,000? I'm broke. I won't have any money for college. Well, what happened? Eventually, the market started going up. His first reaction was, ah, this is just a short run. It's going to go down. Went up another 1,000 points. Well, maybe I should buy it. I'll see how it's going. I'll watch. Went up another 1,000 points. Sure enough, when it got up to about 11,000, 12,000, that's when he bought some stock back. Okay? Yeah. This is the typical mentality of somebody <laughs> who is investing, how to, buy, how to buy high and sell low. Exactly. And, and who's, who's ever timed the market? I mean, there's no No one. And that's another mistake in savings. You can't time the market. And we, it's funny. They did, they did an analysis of the stock market, and they wanted to see what kind of uh, things had in common. And the one thing they came into, into uh, they had all these statisticians looking at it, and the one thing they realized is that there was nothing in common. There's no way it can be timed. There's just no way. So let's ask ourselves, how much money should people be saving for retirement, and, how, and what can you do? There's a couple secrets, and this came from a, a banker, a guy who actually owned a bank. And a lot of my book is based on interviews with successful people. One of the first secrets is that you, you want to put away a minimum of 10% of what you make, and you want to live on the other 90%. And that 10% could be 401k accounts, it could be, it could be IRAs, but you want to put away a minimum of 10% of what you make, 
and live on the other 90%. That's very, very important. In other words, pay yourself first. Right. Number two, I said this before, I'll say it again. You can have anything you want. You just can't have everything. You want to eat that big steak dinner every night? You, then maybe you can't have dessert. Just like eating. It's like dieting. You want to have a steak? Then you got to eat less the rest of the day. It's all about choices. That's all it is. And the same is true for spending and saving money. If you choose to have a big house, you might have to give up an education fund. If you choose to out every day, you might not have enough money for the vacation. It's all about choices. And that leaves the secret number three. Pay yourself first. You want to save 10%, you also want to pay yourself first. And that's always the case. Number four, and this is something that most people miss, and it's really interesting, too, about this. Learn the difference between a need and a want. And I, and I look at this, I, mean, I remember um, my wife saying, uh, you know, Sandy, my needs are my wants, which kind of cracked me up a little bit. But let me give you an example. I said to my wife, Lori, I said, look, you might need shoes, but do you really need a dozen pair of shoes? You might, you might really need a new car, but will an older car do the same thing? Do you really need a 55-inch Sony Trinitron special TV, or will a cheaper model work? Do we really need designer clothes, or will Target work? You know, this is what I'm talking about, between a need and a want. And people really need to understand that. Yeah, and unfortunately, it seems like it takes a catastrophic thing to make people, like, live that way because they have to instead of doing it on their own. Well, they look at the stock market. And go, oh, I have all this money. Why not? Right. Why not buy a Mercedes? Why not buy uh, this? My market's doing well. And then when the market dies, all of a sudden, they're broke. How many times do you read about an actor or a, mo or a movie star or a, um, a fighter? Tyson, Mike Tyson was a good example, who made millions, tens of millions. Yep. And all of a sudden, they had nothing. Nothing. Yep. Or they're broke. Or they're declaring bankruptcy. Right. I mean, it is astonishing, absolutely astonishing, because there was an example of people who couldn't tell the difference between a need and a want. And that raises secret number five. You really, really, really need to track your spending for at least three to six consecutive months. I can't save that enough. It is so important. And yet with that, and you have a great uh, thing called the iBot, right? The TaxBot. It's called TaxBot. TaxBot. T-A-X-B-O-T. Okay. And that's the thing you can get. Is it um, an app you can get on it's a It's a special application like a service that goes on the iPhone, the iPad, the Droid, the Droid tablet, and the, and the web. That It has an expense tracker. You can keep track of your business and personal expenses. It has an integrated camera so you can take a picture of your receipts. You don't lose them. They save all this on the web. So you don't, if you lose your phone, don't worry about it. It's all saved. And then it has an integrated mileage tracker with a GPS system. And then throw it all in. It's got all kinds of videos and all kinds of blogs on taxes, savings, and on, on, on financial tips and just all kinds of things. Uh, TaxBot is an, is an incredible system. You can get it by going to TaxBot.com. And if you want, if you call my office, um, you can mention that you, that you heard it from uh, your show, they will give you 50% off. So I'll do a nice favor for them. If you call my office, my office number is 301-972-3600. That's 301-972-3600. They can get TaxBot for half price, uh, so over what TaxBot is. So that's even a better deal. Uh, by the way, we, we, we do not take clients. All we do is allow for TaxBot, but I do not like you. I'm not a financial planner. I don't take clients, so please don't ask that. <laughs> right. <laughs> Everybody would want to work with you, I'm sure. They probably would, but no, I don't take clients. I'm not a financial planner, and I'm not the right person to work with.
with. Uh, number one, I don't have patience for people to like you do, where, where they where they where not, they're not willing to save and they're not willing to do the things I tell them to do. I would go crazy. So <laughs> I let people like you do that. Yeah, you don't need to do the hard work. No. That's right. <laughs> Dealing well, with clients really is a pain. Like safe, I like safe money, and I like I don't like the stock market. You know, and I think the models change, and I like I'm old fashioned. I want I'm I like annuities, and I like insurance products. I like it to be there when I need it. I don't care about being greedy and making you know twenty percent or whatever. Like safety, I want it there when I need it. So. You know, you're, you're a friend. A friend of mine does that. He's one of the largest, most successful financial planners out there because he makes sure the stuff is safe. And you know, I get it. I get why people want that. Mm-hmm. My philosophy is a little different. I, I think people should take a certain amount of risk. I don't. Say, I'm not saying you should do it with all their money, but a certain amount of risk. You know, there's an old saying. It's called "going broke safely." And here's a good example of it. Let's say someone uh, is making is with a, a bank account or a savings account or a money market account, and they're making two interest, and you figure, okay, and, and, you, and by the way, 2% on a money market today is pretty good. Yeah. But they're making 2%, but it's safe. You don't have to worry about it. Mm-hmm. The problem is, you got to pay taxes on that 2%. So by the time you pay taxes, you're probably left with somewhere between one and a quarter and one and a half percent. If inflation exceeds one and a quarter, one and a half percent, you are going broke safely. Now, think about Babe Ruth. Babe Ruth made $100,000 a year. Now, $100,000 a year, when he earned that money, was astronomical. He was able to buy a house for cash. He was able to do all kinds of things on $100,000 a year. But because, you know, with inflation, that $100,000 a year is not as good now as it was when he earned that money. Do I think people should be safe with their money? Yes. But I also think that they have to take a certain amount of risk or they won't exceed the rate of inflation after tax. And you know know the story about Babe Ruth. He had the financial planner, Christy Walsh, and she got him into an annuity. And all of it, he didn't lose any money in that annuity. And it's tax deferred. It's not tax free, but he deferred the taxes too. So his money was safe in the annuity when the press. That's correct. By the way, at that time, tax rates were much, much lower lower than they are today. Yeah. yeah. So annuities were a much better deal than they are today, right. <laughs> unfortunately. Right. Right. Well, what do you think is the best way, f- and I know this is on a lot of people's minds, how do you save for college? I mean, how are people going to do this? Well, you know, it's interesting you mentioned that. First of all, you want to adopt all the strategies that I talk about in terms of, of my book on saving money. And that includes all the tips, and I give all kinds of tips on, on, on all kinds of things. Like, you know, for example, I mean, I'm, I'm just going to give a few because I have a whole bunch of this stuff. Uh, put all your change that you make in a little piggy bank. Don't just put it together and buy something. Put it in a piggy bank. By by, I would say by the end of each month, you'll probably have an extra twenty to thirty dollars saved up. Right. Just putting change away. Mm-hmm. Here's something that, that actually saved me a lot of money. I get I get a bunch of pills. I get Lipitor and some other things. Okay. Uh-huh. I had the doctor subscribe double dose of pills. So whatever my dose is, let's say it's it's twenty milligrams. I got to forty milligrams, and I bought a pill splitter. Okay. And I've been doing this for my medication for a while. So instead of getting 90 days worth of medication, I get 180 days for the same price of 90. Right. Exactly. Okay. Um, Shop at used clothing or consignment stores or go to Target. You know, don't go to the full retail kind of outlets. You know, there are many, many things people can do. I'm not going to – I like to mute my commercials. Whenever I see a commercial, I I try to run around or I get on my exercise bike when a commercial is going on. (laughs) Uh, I mean, there are many, many things you can do. I'm, I'm not going 
going to go into all of it because I have about 100 things in here, but that's, that's, that's the first thing. Now, let's talk about saving for college. Now, I got a whole chapter on this. I mean, we can, we can make a whole show out of this. I'm, I'm going to tell will. you right now. We will. We will. There are, and we're, we're, and just, I want to emphasize everyone, we're giving kind of an overview here. I mean, I have a lot of in-depth information, a lot more than I'm able to cover, unfortunately. Right. There are a couple. There are, break break it down and and all right. drill down. There are a couple better ways to save for college. One of the best ways is what I call a prepaid tuition plan, and I did this uh, in Maryland for my daughter and my son. Many states, most in fact, I think just about every state has a special plan where you put away a certain amount of money, and that covers four years worth of undergraduate tuition at a state school. It also covers required fees as well. And it doesn't matter how high the tuition has gone, it covers four years of tuition, with college being one of the highest uh, um, growing rates of cost. Being able to lock in your tuition now for the future is a heck of a deal. We did this for my daughter, and it just paid off enormously. Uh, what's interesting about a lot of these prepaid tuition plans is a lot of people ask me, they say, well, wait a minute, Sandy, what happens if my, my usually it works with, with, with state schools, but what happens if my uh, prepaid tuition plan doesn't, I don't, she doesn't go to a, uh, in state school, she goes somewhere else. Maryland, as an example, pays what the tuition would have been. Now, that's not true in every state, but you need to check that out. But if they go out of state, they'll pay what the tuition would have been. And as long as it's used for tuition, you won't have to pay tax on any of that money. So I like the prepaid tuition plans, and I think you should look look at it. Yeah. I should note that there is even a private prepaid tuition plan, believe it or not. I'm not sure how good that is, but there's about 250 schools that subscribe to this private uh, prepaid tuition plan. Just, just uh, you go on the web, do a search for private college 529 plans, and you'll find where that is. But there is a there is something for private schools that cover you for uh, prepaid tuition. Now, in addition to the prepaid tuition plan. There is something called a Section 529 plan, and that's under Section 529 in the Internal Revenue Code. That's where we got it. It's not something exotic. And that is kind of like a mutual fund, but you put money away. It doesn't guarantee the tuition the way the prepaid tuition plans go, but it, it can be used for any um, any college, any anywhere, and uh, it applies for tuition. Uh, uh, it can apply for supplies. It can even use, be used for a computer. Uh, it goes from mandatory fees, um, internet. I mean, that pre, that Section 529 plan can be used for just about anything, not just tuition. Um, it's very, very good. It can be used in addition to the prepaid tuition plan. There are some limits as to how much you can put in altogether. So obviously, to see somebody like you, I think it's very important uh, to make sure that they don't over, overdo the limits. But there is such a thing called a Section 529 plan, and they should be aware about this. Third thing, Roth IRAs. Roth IRAs can be used for tuition tax-free. And, you know, if your kids are working, if they have a job, they can, they can have a Roth IRA set up, and they can be used for their tuition. And a lot of times people say, well, wait a minute, my kids don't work. Well, I, give, I have a great idea. Why don't you hire them to do some personal stuff? If you can't hire them in your business, then you can deduct the expense. But why don't you hire them to do personal stuff if, they won't, if you don't have a business? Right. Make their beds. Clean their rooms. Do personal chores. Now, that's not deductible if it's personal, but it's still earned income. 
and uh, the money, most of the money they make will be tax-free because they can earn up to $6,100 a year tax-free, and then they can take 5000 of that and put it into a Roth IRA and use that for, for their tuition. Great. That's another way. Mm-hmm. Um, another good one, having a rich relative always helps. If a rich relative pays the tuition, I don't care how much they pay, it's, it's exempt from gift tax. So if you have a rich grandparent paying your three years or two years or one year of college tuition, all that is not taxable to you and it's not subject to gift tax. So th- those are probably those are among the best ways to save for school. But I do want to mention one thing that I get into. I get a lot of, and this is especially true, and I know we're almost done with our time frame. And the question is, you know, most of these high schools are recommending go to the best school you can get into. Oh, if it's if it's Harvard, if it's Yale, if it's Tufts, if it's MIT, whatever it is, go to the best school you can get into. Don't worry about the tuition. Somehow it'll it'll be taken care of by itself. Or they see this dream school with lots of ivy or lots of things. They go, oh, I want to go there, you know? Right, right. First of all, there's been studies shown that show that sharp kids who go to state schools perform just as well as those who go to the top ivies and top schools. Their, Their earnings are the same. It is absolutely mind-boggling that people incur incredible debt to go to these private schools. There was a big article about a girl who went to NYU. NYU is a fine school, and I'm not knocking NYU. My mom went to NYU, in fact. She majored in women's studies. All right, and I don't know what you do with women's studies, but she majored in women's studies. She graduated with over $113,000 of debt. That is insane. That is absolutely insane. In my opinion, you should rarely go anywhere where your your debt, total debt, for an undergraduate education is more than $30,000. And there's a couple reasons for that. Um, If you have to take out student loans, you can only deduct up to $2,500 of student loan interest if you make under a certain income. Student loans are normally about 8%. They're much higher than your normal rate, which means about $33,000 of student loan equals at eight percent, at eight percent equals twenty five hundred dollars. So basically, I would not incur any debt more than thirty three thousand dollars if you can avoid it. If you can't do that, then go to a state school. But you do not want a high debt. I can't say that enough times. Um, there sometimes you may be forced to go to a private school. A good example of that was kids with disabilities. In case you have a kid with learning disabilities, I recommend you get Peterson's College with programs for students with learning disabilities. They actually have a book on that, which recommends various types of programs if you have a kid with learning disabilities. But, I, but other than that, unless it's an absolute essential program that you can't get anywhere, I strongly urge you to go to a place that's cheaper unless you can get good scholarships. doesn't mean you shouldn't apply, but if they're not willing to give you good scholarships, then go to the state school. Right. Well, that's great because that just blows away this, this illusion that you have to go to Harvard to be successful. And, and That's not true. But by the way, Harvard's an exception. Harvard actually gives free tuition if the parents are making under a certain income. Harvard's actually very, you can, it may be cheaper to go to Harvard, actually, than a community college. <laughs> so Harvard's an exception. But a lot of these other schools like Tufts or NYU, Carnegie Mellon, and some of these other places, they don't give that much aid in many cases. And if you're not getting a lot of scholarship aid, you really want to consider going to a state school. It blows me away. We knew a kid who was a National Merit Scholar, very smart kid, 
uh, didn't get a great scholarship from the school they went to. They were paying 40000 more, 45000 a year, plus room and board, when they could have gone to the University of Maryland, which is a good school, by the way, free. They offered her free tuition. They turned it down to go to a, a better school at forty five, fifty thousand a year when you count room and board and things like that. That's insane. Completely insane in my opinion. Yep. Absolutely. And most of that was borrowed money, which is even worse. Yeah. I mean that that just absolutely insane. It is. And, you know, Sandy, you, you really, this is really good stuff and so important. And, and I just want to remind everybody right now, you guys who are listening to Ready, Set, Retire. And this is really, we're going to be providing a continuous, great content, just like you've heard today. And I want to let you know that you could reach out to Sandy. Sandy, tell everybody how they can reach out to you again. Okay. First of all, I, I strongly recommend you get my book called The Achieve financial freedom, big time. You can get that on Amazon.com. You can go to Barnes and Noble. It's any it's any bookstore. Okay. Also, for tracking your expenses, go to Taxbot. T a x b o t dot com. Uh, you can register. What I would do is call my office. You can call my office. The number is listed on Taxbot at 301-972-3600. That's on the East Coast. So be aware you're on Eastern Standard Time. Tell them you are on Chris's show, and I offered a deal for half price. Taxbot is normally $19.95 a month, but if you tell them you were with Chris and you heard it there, they will give it to you for half price. That is not a two-month special. That's it. You get it at half price. So I strongly urge you to do that, and I will promise you, you will make your life a lot less taxing. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. In all ways. <laughs> all right. In all ways, yes. And and for those of you that want to reach out to me, you can get, uh, get a hold of me at Ready for Pretirement. That's R-E-A-D-Y-F-O-R-P-R-E-T-I-R-E-M-E-N-T.com. Pretirement means plan retirement early so your money, health, and peace of mind is there when you need it. I'm also offering a financial fitness exam, and you could reach out to me, and we can go over some of the things that we've been talking about, safe money, and where you can be prepared for pre-retirement, and you'll be ready to have a fabulous life. And Sandy, if you want to, I know you just got so many goodies to share, but one final little jewel to cap us off here, what would you like to share with everybody? To me, the most important thing of everything I said was to was two things. One, plan. Get the book. Read it. Knowledge itself is not power. That is a myth. Applied knowledge is power. You take the book and use the information. You will save thousands and thousands of dollars. The second point is track your expenses. That's probably the second most important point. I can't tell you how important it is to track. If you track your expenses, you'll be astonished at what you're spending. You can make cuts. You can then use that money to save money for prepaid debt, to save up for college, and you're at over a, over a 20, 30, 40-year period, th- that is worth tens, maybe hundreds of thousands of dollars. It's amazing how a little bit of savings over a long period of time really, really adds up. That's great. Wonderful. Well, Sandy, again, thank you so much for sharing all these great the information and everything, and I'm going to make sure to have you back as soon as possible so we can get into some more of those great topics you have. And everybody, this is Ready, Set, Retire, and have a fabulous day.